Hi, everyone. This is Gordon Half. Welcome to another edition of the Innovate at Open podcast. I'm here with Arnaud of the chair of the Technical Steering Committee of the Hyperledger Project. And Arnaud, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I would probably butcher the pronunciation of your name. <laughs> you won't be the first one or the last one, so I wouldn't be offended, but okay. So, uh, hello, everyone. I'm Arnaud Lehorse. I'm part of the Open Technology Group at IBM, which is essentially responsible for helping the different product groups within IBM uh, develop an open technology strategy and execute on it, whether it involves open source or open standards. I have been at IBM for now 20 years, and I like to say that uh, open source is what brought me to IBM, and it is because of open source that I'm still at IBM 20 years later. So you're the chair of the Technical Steering Committee of Hyperledger, and this podcast is actually not going to be predominantly about Hyperledger, but rather Hyperledger as a case study for governance and technical steering committees, specifically in open source projects. But for context, why don't you tell us a little bit about Hyperledger? Sure. So Hyperledger technically is a collaborative project of the Linux Foundation, so it's it's a consortium that is dedicated to providing a venue for development of blockchain uh, technology in open source for the enterprise. And so we have different projects that are actually being developed within the Hyperledger project and different like blockchain frameworks and tools associated with this. So there's a whole, we have like up to 15 different projects now within Hyperledger. How did it come about that this technical steering committee that you're chair of come about? What were the motivations? How did this happen? When Hyperledger got started, we inherited some of those bylaws from the Linux Foundation, which, you know, I like to say they have pretty much in, you know, got into the business of, you know, they have like a consortium as a service type of business model where essentially it's quite costly, right, to start from scratch. If you want to start a new foundation or consortium, you will have to go through a lot of work to get your bylaws set up. So instead, now you can go to an organization like the Linux Foundation that will help provide a framework to do that much more, much more uh, easily. And so we have, a, we have a, sh- a charter that sets some basis for the work that happens at Hyperledger, and it does define a governing board that is responsible for the higher level, managing the budget and the overall direction of the, of the organization. And it provides for a technical steering committee that is responsible to more like monitor and and manage the projects at the technical level. Was the organization of the technical steering committee in the context of of Hyperledger, was that sort of a copy and paste from other technical steering committees or were there unique things about Hyperledger that you had to take into account? So this is the interesting part. And to be honest, I thought we would have more of that already pre-baked because of the Linux Foundation. You know, as I said, they got into that business of providing essentially consortium a service where you get a lot of that and, and you get not just bylaws and things like this, but you also get a staff, right? They, they provide an IT infrastructure for you, so you, 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 you will have mailing list and a website, and they have communication people, marketing people that will help with 
you know, all of these aspects around the projects. When it comes to the bylaws and the, the structure itself, I actually honestly thought we would have more, but the Linux Foundation actually prides itself in not being like Apache, which, has, which is known to have the Apache way that kind of defines how things get done pretty precisely. But instead, they have this model where they actually provide a very minimal framework and leave it to each project to figure out how they actually want to be further organized. I think, and I've talked to, uh, I've talked to people at the Linux Foundation about the fact that maybe there's, uh, they could provide a bit more guidance because I think we spend a lot of time. So at the Technical Steering Committee, we spend uh, the last four years now we've been running quite a significant amount of time discussing not really technical issues, but more process issues because there is very little predefined by the charter. So simple things like project life cycle, how do you manage the, the, your, your project? How do you manage even the election of the steering committee? It says there will be an election, the charter, right? But it doesn't really say how you go at doing this. And so we had to kind of reinvent all of this. Some of it can be found and, you know, we don't reinvent necessarily everything. And a lot of this comes from other organizations and there is copy and paste. And it's not necessarily within the Linux Foundation. So, for instance, we have an exit criteria. There's a project life cycle that starts with incubation and then there's an active status, which for, for projects that have graduated out of incubation, there's a set of criteria that defines what you need to meet to be able to get to this active status. And one criteria, for instance, is diversity. And, and the text actually is straight out of the Apache Software Foundation. And it's fairly common, people do that. You don't necessarily reinvent everything from scratch. You kind of get inspired by others. I mean, we have a code of conduct. There are things like this that come from the Linux Foundation. And then they may be adapted by the project, but a lot of this is actually inherited from different organizations as well. What were some of the specific characteristics, if you would, of the Hyperledger project that, may, that you had to take into account as you were setting yourselves up? There's some general rules, like we have the Apache software license. So all the projects must be based on the Apache software license. That's kind of imposed by the charter, and there was no question about this. On the other hand, one thing we didn't necessarily anticipate at the beginning was the diversity of projects we would have going on within the organization. When we started the Hyperledger, it was announced it was basically an empty organization. We had members that had lined up, you know, to, to, to support the project. And there were people, IBM, you know, in particular, had already announced that they, are, they intended to submit their code to get a project started, which is now known under the name of Hyperledger Fabric. And um, what we didn't know is there would be many more companies interested in contributing code and starting new projects. And so we actually end up today, we have five different blockchain networks or frameworks, I should say. So these are like, you know, open source that you can use to instantiate blockchain networks for the enterprise with different characteristics, different philosophies, technical choices. And there are actually quite different communities behind those projects. And that's not something we really could anticipate when we started. And so because of that, we have very, you have quite a bit of variations in how those different projects uh, uh, behave, are organized, 
And one of the things that we are trying to do now with the Technical Steering Committee is to try to harmonize those different projects, how they function, because there are simple things like, you know, one thing we recently agreed on is to define a common repository structure. Because even simple things like what are the files that everybody should have in their repository, like the readme, the copyright file, you know, where do you find the list of maintainers, how to contribute if you want to contribute. All these things were done in different ways, and more often than not, it's accidental, right? It's just because there's a standard way of doing it, so people just invent one. And sometimes they get inspired by another project. They say, oh, that looks good. We'll do it this way, but not necessarily. And so there are a lot of variations that are kind of unnecessary. And so what we're trying to do is harmonize those different uh, ways, and the, the, the different ways the projects uh, operate so that it's easier for the community out there, right, to find their ways when they go from one project to another. There is quite a bit of confusion out there when they, you know, this is things that I got firsthand here at the, at the, the, the conference, for instance, is people come and say, it's so hard to figure out what's going on because there's all these different projects and they're all organized in different ways. And the rules about becoming a maintainer, for instance, each project does its own kind of uh, way and so I think we would benefit as a community as as a whole to harmonize those different things. And there's also been quite a bit of work done in modularizing things like the cryptographic uh, libraries and URSA, Indeed. the uh, the some of the communications in the case of Aries, and kind of breaking out some of those common components. Yes, so that's more on the technical front now. Uh, indeed, from the beginning, as I said, we started with quite a few different projects that are different uh, roots, origins, but we also said, well, it'd be best if we could avoid unnecessary duplication of efforts, and so we should try to look for opportunities to componentize some of the projects and and make it reusable. So, you you, you for instance, uh, you talked about URSA, so... Blockchain, you know, is very cryptography dependent. So everybody has code doing cryptography. And all the, the experts will say you will, will tell you that it's a very sensitive type of code and only experts should really touch this kind of code. And the last thing you want to do is have too many of those things around. The goal of URSA was really to try to say, okay, let's all focus the, the cryptographic a sensitive material, you know, code into one project, and then we can encourage, and it will make it easier for other projects instead of reinventing this, to do just reuse this. And so this is a model we're trying to to further expand on. It's not so easy because there are limitations. There are people who just have first is like there's choices of programming languages. It starts with this, right? And, and so different projects have different programming languages, and even though it's usually possible to, to connect different libraries, you know, it's still, you know, a, a inherent barrier. And then there is more than that. There's, like, skills. You know, people have to now depend on what's elsewhere. And there's typically an effort that is required to reap out some of your code that may not be as good as the other one, but, you know, it's good enough, it works. But now you're going to contemplate taking it out and, you know, making the effort to use and add a dependency to another project with 
it, it has its pros and cons. So I'm not saying that it's a perfect world. Uh, it's still a work in progress. And, and we're still trying to find ways to encourage this further collaboration and integration between the different projects. Something that occasionally comes up, both in the context of Hyperledger, in the context of Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and really in the context of any of these sort of umbrella type of projects or foundations that have a number of overlapping projects, is how do you balance picking winners on the one hand and admitting which are the projects with the highest technical merit versus sort of being a broad tent because all these things do do things a little differently. Yes, indeed. And uh, I mean, quite frankly, at this point, we are not trying to pick winners. That's the answer to your question. And, and I can't say that, you know, how things will evolve. We, as I said earlier, we didn't really anticipate having so many different projects, you know, in parallel and to, to a certain degree competing with one another. I mean, it's very interesting type of environment, right? Because we have these meetings, for instance, where there's a lot of collaboration. People, you know, freely exchange ideas. They learn about each other's projects and they get inspired by other projects. And we have that cross-pollination at least uh, of ideas, if not code, quite significantly since the beginning of, of the, the Hyperledger. But at the same time, there's clearly people get invested in their project. They are not necessarily keen on being told, you should really stop what you're doing. Why don't you just join the other projects? It seems to be more advanced than yours. So the technical steering committee for sure has not been set up to do this and we have stayed away from it. And I mean, to a certain extent, I mean, of course we could, you know, become uh, like Nazis and just say, sorry, you're out. But fundamentally, it is open source. And open source is a voluntary, uh, you know, it's voluntary based. And so people do what they want. We can't really force them and say, you should switch your, to your project to using, you know, from using your own cryptographic library to using Ursa. We can encourage them, we can recommend it, but at the end of the day, they are free to do whatever they want. And so it is kind of interesting that we have this, we have this setup where the TSE has this responsibility to provide oversight of the general of all the, the different projects, and at the same time, it's limited inherently by 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 this makeup of different projects with the very different communities. And we have discussed, you know, having technical. I mean, a lot of people kind of, you know, are, are a bit uh, saddened by the fact that at the technical steering committee, we often get to talk about process issues and not so much about technical issues. And it seems to be like, wait, I thought you were the technical steering committee. What, what, what happened there? And the reality is it's actually often difficult to get very technical because of the nature, again, of this makeup of different projects, because people who are on the technical steering committee are elected from the different projects. And they typically don't have expertise in all the different projects. So either you're going to talk at a very high level that's abstract enough that everybody can relate to, but the amount of discussion you can have at that level is not going to go very far and the impact you can have is fairly limited, or you're going to have to go down deeper into a specific project. And there you're going to lose a lot of the audience because not everybody has the expertise necessary to discuss very deeply on any other project than the one they're focusing on. And that's 
inherently a challenge that we are dealing with. So given that, how do you decide which projects to onboard? So that's a different question. And I think, to be honest, it's been one of the challenges is we've been kind of inventing the rules as we went, right? And it has actually, you know, so we had a very interesting experience this uh, last year with the Bezu project that was contributed by Consensus, Pegasus, which is a consensus company. And because we had a set of people who were completely new to the organization and trying to go through our documentation, which unfortunately is not in great shape because we have different pieces of documents and decisions that were made. It's a little bit spread all over the place between the wiki, the website, the charter, and you know, so they, they came and it was a very useful exercise for us because they came with new eyes and said, you know, no expectations. They tried to find their way based on the documentation that was available. And they, they came to us and say, okay, we would like to do that. And we're like, no, you can't do this. And they're like, oh, why? And we say, well, no, that's not how we do things. And then we realized, well, it's very hard to point a piece of document that actually says that clearly. And because a lot of us, like myself and others, have been around since the beginning, and we have grown a common understanding of what we expect the organization to be doing and how projects behave and our, our business is conducted overall. But that information is not necessarily well documented again in writing that we can point people to. And so I have to say, I thank the busy team to help us kind of, you know, see that so that we can improve and get better at documenting things so we don't have that problem anymore where people find themselves surprised by some of the rules that we come up with that seem to be arbitrary sometimes, I'm sure, to them. And we say, no, no, this, we all agree, right? And so then we have to make a decision, we capture the resolution, and then we have to eventually get a, that's one of the projects that we have to work on is get a clear documentation there's a one place that you should be able to get to and get all the rules about how the projects are being governed and organized. From a technical perspective, do you have a specific technical hurdle in mind before you would accept the project into the Hyperledger project? No. So, so I mean, we have a general charter, right? So, of course, it has to be blockchain related. It has to be, we are enterprise oriented. So we don't get like into cryptocurrencies, for instance, right? It's really not the kind of uh, blockchain we're talking about. So of course, there are those basic criteria that are clearly that need to be met for any project proposal to be to be considered. But beyond that, in fact, there isn't much at the technical level, then it becomes more a question of, you know, who is behind it? And do you have enough interest and, and uh, at least the beginning of a community that you can point to to sustain a project at the, at the level of Hyperledger. I have to say, though, is we actually have, you know, that's one thing that we introduced that we didn't have from the beginning is the Hyperledger labs. Because what happened is we had some cases where people came with proposals for project, but they were like, you know, just beginning of projects, ideas. And we thought, okay, this is an interesting idea, but you really don't have what we think it is going to take to get a full project going. So it was a bit of a shame to just turn them out, down and say, well, go do something else somewhere else. 
And so what we did is we created the Hyperledger Labs, which allows people to actually create these kind of projects. With that, actually, the, the, the oversight of the technical steering committee is basically you have a simple project where you, a, a process where you can go on GitHub, create a proposal by forking the, the, and doing a, a pull request where with a very simple template, you describe what your project is about and you'll get a repository and you can get started from there. It does give you a basic framework. You get exposure because you're associated with the Hyperledger and that allows those projects that are kind of maybe experimental in nature or don't have a big community behind it or sufficient enough to sustain a real project to at least exist. And then, if, of course, eventually they might transition to an actual project. Ursa is one of them. They started as a lab and then once they had something going that seemed to make sense, they were promoted to an actual project. If you could go back to your somewhat younger self starting this out, what would you tell yourself to do differently? This aspect that I talked about where we have made quite a few decisions along the way for the last four years, and those were not necessarily capture, uh, captured appropriately. And, and the, we need to have a governing document that we can point to. And when we make decisions, they should be immediately reflected into some actual change to the document. And so this is kind of like the governing document that you go back to. And I, I do think it's unfortunate we didn't get to do that sooner and realize it because and part of it is also, you know, even like the wiki we use has changed uh, several times. And so it's every time it's quite disruptive and we don't have a clear way on how we get organized. And there are things like issues. <laughs> I mean, so of course we all are developers at the base. And so we all use like GitHub and Jira and stuff like this. But when it came to the TSC, we didn't use any of those tools. And so it kind of like ad hoc, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, well, how do you do this? How do you manage issues and stuff? And so that's one thing I actually did that I, I, I take pride in, even though it's stupid because it's very simple. But I said, okay, we need, uh, we need to keep track of the issues. And we use the wiki for now. Maybe we'll change to another tool, but it's, it's better than having nothing. And we have a, we have a, a list of issues and we have decision log that captures all the decisions that are being made and we can point to the issues we still have to tackle and the ones that have been approved or decided on and what the resolution was and with pointers to the minutes, all things that are pretty basic but which we didn't have and we had to, to create. And I think, you know, to get back to your question, I think it would have been good to sort some of these things out earlier rather than so late in the process. And today we would have a cleaner, uh, you know, house, I think. It's a bit still messy. And one thing I'm trying to do as chair is to clean up the house. <laughs> well, thank you. Anything else you'd like to add? No, I think, uh, you know, I, I do want to point out that uh, Hyperledger is completely open. Uh, we have members, but in fact, you don't need to be a member to participate. 
all the projects are completely open. Of course, there's the part that's like open source, so of course, anybody can participate. But even, for instance, the technical steering committee is completely open. There's a public mailing list that we use. The wiki is open, and uh, we have weekly teleconferences, and people can attend. And there are currently 11 members of the TSC, but we often have like 30 to 50 people attending the calls. And so anybody is welcome to come and attend and contribute and hopefully positively. <laughs> but so I don't do want to encourage people to look into it because I think what we are doing is quite exciting and uh, there's a lot of good stuff that can be done and people should look into it.